Blog Talk Radio. National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I'm so happy to welcome the callers and the chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Well, tonight's show is about the 1876 election season and also about unearthing the story of Henry Brookhart, the man who was beaten, lynched, and survived. My guest tonight is Christopher Smothers. He is a genealogist and a native of Marietta, Georgia. And he is currently an undergraduate student who is working on receiving his AAAS in Interdisciplinary Studies from Chattahoochee Technical College. And he will tell you a little bit more about his educational aspirations. Christopher's ancestral roots land in southeast Louisiana, Mississippi, Maryland, and Virginia. In his free time, he ties his Creole heritage into serving as a founding principal trumpet player in the youth band of Atlanta, while also performing with several wind ensembles in and around the metro Atlanta area. In January of 2018, Unearthing Your Roots Incorporated was founded by Christopher in efforts to provide professional genealogical services to people in search of their biological families and ancestors abroad. So let me give a warm welcome to Christopher Smothers to research at the National Archives and beyond. Welcome, Christopher. Hey, Bernice, how's it going? Oh, it's going, (laughs) and I'm so (laughs) excited about hearing what you have to share with us tonight. But before we get into the the story, and before we get into even talking about the 1876 election season, tell us, I mean, how long have you been involved in genealogical research? Well, now it's be going on about eight years now. 
And what got you into it? Oh, that's a long story. Uh, <laughs> I was really kind of starting to ask questions because I never really grew up uh, learning about, you know, anybody beyond my grandparents. So I started by asking my grandmother about who her father was and uh, and vice versa. So uh, to, you know, see her kind of, you know, not know all the questions I asked, it just made me curious and I was a curious child. So I said, oh, okay, I, I can probably figure this out, you know. So I just went and that's kind of where it took off from there. Well, you know what, I guess when you say eight years, and so many people are thinking, you know, how do you get involved in genealogical research? You start asking questions, just what you've done. So I I know you're working on your AAS degree, but how are you planning on continuing your education in genealogy? Well, next semester I'll uh, actually be in the BU program for genealogical research. And next summer, I plan on being in the uh, Maggie Institute. Oh, wonderful! Well, I'm—I can tell you right now, you're welcome. We're really—we really want to see you at Maggie. That's wonderful. So, how did you learn about Henry Brookhart? Well, Henry Brookhart has kind of been trickled down in our family's oral history on my father's side. So uh, we did have a family historian, uh, Donald Jones Jr., who uh, had done a lot of research prior to me ever even finding out about him or uh, that there had been a family tree established already. So he was kind of the (laughs) transfer of oral history from the original source to, to me. So I kind of learned a lot about what he knew and kind of took uh, what he knew and used my skills to kind of further the information that we were aware of. So oral history is kind of the main uh, guy that helped us in the beginning. And how are you connected to Henry Brookhart in the first place? Okay, Henry Brookhart is my paternal fourth great-grandfather. Okay, so... (laughs) if that makes any sense. He is my father's grandmother's grandfather. So He's your – and where was he from? He was actually freeborn black from Virginia, and then he moved to uh, West Feliciana Parish in the 1820s. Okay, and so he's a free person of color, and he moved – to West Feliciana Parish in 1820. And so let's not talk about him for a minute and talk about the 1876 election. Now, what's significant about that election? Okay. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, The 1876 election is one of the most controversial elections in the history of America. Okay, so Samuel Tilden is a Democrat, and you have Rutherford B. Hayes, the Republican. Okay, so they're going against each other, and they have a, you know, a few different commonalities like civil service reform, anti-corruption, and they're both hard-money politicians. Uh, but the difference between the two is one wants military protection for black voters in the South. Uh, the other uh, doesn't. 
So at the time, there was a strong belief that there needed to be a central government force in the South and ensure those rights are fully executed by black voters. Um, so Samuel Tilden wins the popular vote but loses the Electoral College. So that's kind of unprecedented at this point. So the Compromise of 1877 is the culmination of this election. And that compromise basically removes the protection of black people <laughs> and, the, and the, the, removes the protection of the Union from the South, which allows white supremacist organizations like the KKK, like Jim Crow, to originate and form to basically restrict black rights. Okay, so given what occurred, tell us how does Henry Brookhart play into what's going on politically in West Feliciana? Well, based off of what I've learned in the subcommittee hearings and his testimony that I found uh, on Google Books, actually, <laughs> um, he was a really prominent black leader of the South. He was actually a minister of the gospel. Uh, so he had a very large uh, following and he had a lot of, inf- a lot of influence. So, and also he was the fourth ward West Luciana democratic conservative club president. So vice president, sorry. So he has a very large sphere of influence. So he becomes a target because after this compromise, He's one of the only people uh, in that area influencing black voters who were in the majority uh, at the time to vote a certain way. And I think that's what kind of put a target on his back. Wow. And so he became a target because he was so influential. But how did you find out information about Henry Brookhart, and how how did you kind of weave this story together? Just tell us more. I won't ask you any more questions. I'll just let you tell us what you are uncovering and how you're uncovering information about him. Okay, well, as I said earlier, first it was the oral history, and then I have this subscription to Genealogy Bank, and mm-hmm. that allowed me to kind of figure out that this guy is in the newspaper. This is before I knew about the testimony. So, and the newspaper actually revealed a statement saying that this guy uh, was elected to the Democratic Conservative Club as vice president. So that kind of threw me off a little bit. I was like, are we sure we are talking about the same person? You know, so it was really shocking. And then later in the articles in the Feliciana Sentinel, I found out that he was lynched um, along with other people within that week. And that's what kind of drew me in even further. So from there, there was little excerpts from the testimony that were put into the newspaper. And that's what kind of led me to find out and search Google Books about it, um, 
even though I didn't even intend to find anything about him, uh, as I said, my cousin uh, had been doing research way longer than me. And he had sent me an article um, kind of wanting to fill me in on the 1876 election. You know, he suggested this book of subcommittee hearings that one of his ancestors was in. His ancestor is actually John Gare, who was killed um, during this time. So he recommended I read it that. So I did. (laughs) And even though Henry Brookhart's testimony wasn't in that same volume, uh, I was able to find it after trying to see (laughs) where they had pulled this excerpt from. You know, I said, okay, this sounds like an interview, so there has to be more somewhere. And that's when I found not only Henry Brookhart, but several other of my direct ancestors talking about the quality of life and the, the scene, the uh, atmosphere of that election season uh, of 1876. Well, give us an example of exactly what did they say. Because it is really intriguing to think that you would find uh, testimony by Henry Brookhart and other relatives in West Feliciana Parish. And did they go, in fact, into details about life in that parish? Yes. It is very, very intimate. Um I have, to, I have to let you know, before I um, found this testimony, I kind of had a preconceived uh, idea about, you know, the education of these people, uh, my ancestors, and the uh, competency. I know it's kind of like crazy, but in school that's how they indoctrinate you, right? They tell you, oh, okay, well, they weren't literate. <laughs> um, so when I found his interview and started reading it, I said, man, this guy has more vocab than me. (laughs) You know, I said, I need to Mm -hmm. uh, work on on my, you know, vocabulary because he is really expanding and really drawing from his emotions and using his vocab to really articulate exactly the atmosphere and the feeling on the election day. So give us an example of what did he say. Okay. um, Here, let me find it real quick. Uh, we have Family Tree Girl is saying that she on Google Books uh, is a great tool and that she found a court case of her second great-grandmother and uh, discovered a lot of information. Yeah, I had really uh, neglected Google Books until I found this. I said, okay, well, I have to start using this for all of my research because it's really a great resource, especially uh, when you have such a controversial topic you're talking about. I didn't think that yes. in a million years that it would be in there, but it was, and that was really shocking. Yes. So give us an idea of what he said. Okay, here, it's pulling up right now. Here we are. Okay, so the interview starts out by talking. He's being interviewed by Senators Wadley, McDonald, and McMillan, okay, in front of a 
a jury <laughs> in a subcommittee. So he's asking him questions like, where do you live and what ward do you live? How long have you lived there? You know, and then he asks him uh, what ticket he voted on, and he answers conservative. And he uh, also asks him conservative what else, and he says the Democratic conservative ticket. Um, and then he says the Senator Wadley asks him how long had he acted with him. He said, ever since I was a voter. And he asks him, what was the reason of your leaving the Radical Party and uniting with the Democratic Conservative Club? And he says, I thought it was the most safest side. And he says, mm-hmm. why? And then he answers, well, they appointed me a member of the school board, and every time when the school board met, I was not called on. That was the reason. Um, and then they also asked him later on in the interview, what kind of government did you have on a radical rule? And he says, a miserable government. It was no government. There was a time when there was no peace among us. Now, when an officer leads a company of men into the field of battle and then goes away and leaves them there, they can't fight and defend themselves. Well, that is the way the leaders of our party did us. And I thought I had to apply to some source for the better. Um, Just stuff like that. Like, even though it wasn't almost collegiate, but he had a very way, like a, a real way of articulating what he was saying without, you know, coming off as incompetent to senators, you know. Yes, yes. Blowing my mind, you know, because when you read dissertations of slave narratives and, you know, you get uh, a phonetic speech, you know, and this was nothing of the sort. Mm hmm, mm hmm. And just, I mean, how did it feel just to, you're actually hearing his words, you're reading his words. Exactly. And and just how (sighs) did that feel? I was so I was just blown away. Um, it, it was it's, it's indescribable because this guy would have been lost to history, you know. And it's just a overwhelming thing, you know. It's like sitting down, you know, at the table with a cup of coffee, and they're literally telling you their story, you know. In that moment, I really gained a new appreciation for someone who was almost lost in time. You know, that's one of the main reasons that I research for myself and for others, to give people an opportunity to sit down and learn about the story of their ancestors. That's right. And then for you to find out that he was he was beaten, lynched, and survived. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's mind-blowing. Uh, it's you mind-blowing. Right. At what point in his life did that did that occur during the 1876 election season or before the election season? It was actually right after the compromise of 1877 took away the uh the union protection from the south. And specifically mm-hmm. like states like Louisiana, South Carolina and Florida. So it kind of, you know, gave them almost permission, you know, to kind of have their way with the uh, radical black leaders of the South. Because he openly states he voted the radical ticket, you know, before Mm -hmm. uh, he voted Democratic conservative. So they already knew his thinking, his ideology was, you know, quote unquote, radical for the time, which it was. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And then you said you had other family members that also uh, were 
included in some of the testimony. Who were those individuals? Okay, so John Haley, who is actually more closely related um, to me, he's actually my two times great-grandfather. So Henry Brookhart's daughter, um, Mary Brookhart, actually married John Haley. Um, Mm -hmm. And he was also given the opportunity to, you know, give that voice to the, to the interview. So, yeah. So you have some questions here. So what was the reason for the lynching? Okay. This is a good time to read the the article that revealed he had been lynched. Okay. So it says, um, this is given by the executive department, state of Louisiana, uh, written by the governor. Okay, so it says, whereas information to me deemed sufficient has reached me that in the early part of September 1878, Henry Brookhart was forcibly taken out of his house in the parish of West Feliciana by unknown parties, tied to a tree until he was almost insensible and then beaten and whipped, and that on the 17th day of September 1878, the wife of John Coates was also severely beaten by some unknown persons uh, in the same parish. And whereas I am determined to suppress violence and crimes and to do all in my power to prevent the repetition of such dastardly outrages. Um, so in the article above this one, it says that the alleged crime was for being a supporter of Captain John J. Barrow for the office of sheriff in the coming election. So this is okay. now 1878 after the compromise there's a guy named John J. Barrow who was previously a plantation owner. Um, he goes up for office of being sheriff, and that's the alleged crime that they charge him with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. The first article that came out actually said on September 13, 1870, said, on last Friday night, Henry Brookhart, vice president of the Fourth Ward Democratic Conservative Club, was forcibly taken out of his house by masked men and mercilessly beaten and hung by the neck until almost quite insensible for the alleged crime of being a supporter of Captain John G. Barrow for the office of sheriff in the coming election. So. Well, you know what? You have somebody in the chat room, and she's saying that Henry Brookhart had to have known her ancestors. She's okay. uh, from the, four, the fourth ward. <laughs> she's saying the fourth ward is in the house. But oh, she wow. has the Taylors, <laughs> Brian, Irvin, Sterling, Barrow, Rucker, oh, yeah. and more. So you've seen I can those tell names. You, I am related to the Barrow family. I am related to the Sterling family. I am. Re- I mean, we have to uh, have some kind of connection down the line. So that's really great that she's listening. Right. So so she's up here, and that's right. She she is listening. So when you talk about, you know, this documentation that you found and you think about, you know, your impression of Henry Brookhart, because you said a little bit about him, but, you know, you had a very radical great-great-great-grandfather, and he managed to survive the lynching. So did you find any other documentation to show that he continued with his views to try to 
influence uh, politics and to influence uh, the black community to to vote and to really push for their rights. Mm-hmm. It is really clear um, that he's very unapologetic about what he believes in and um, the quality of life he wants for his brothers and sisters. Um, so that's made really, really clear in his testimony. Mm-hmm. Well, someone wants to know uh, if you could name the communities in in West Feliciana, if it's the fourth ward or whatever, what other wards your ancestors were in at that time. Okay. Well, in the report, it says that he is living two miles south of the Mississippi line. Okay, so that kind of gives us uh, a good. Uh, um, idea of exactly where he's at. He's kind of on the Woodville, Mississippi, um, Laurel Hill, specifically Laurel Hill area. Um, mm-hmm. so if that helps any. Okay. Now we're going to take a quick break and then come back so that you can continue to tell us a little bit more about your thoughts about how this story relates to the current political environment. Okay. <laughs> Just a quick break. Okay. Welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and Stitcher.com. And I've been broadcasting for now over seven years, and so there are over 300-plus shows that you can listen to at your leisure. Well, you have been listening to Christopher Smothers, and it's been a very interesting conversation because we've been talking about his ancestor, uh, Henry Brookhart, and also what he has uncovered in documents. Now, Chris, there's a, a 
statement here that said that perhaps your ancestors could have been from Laurel Hill. This is just a, a statement since you indicated the area of which you found uh, information. So how mm-hmm. does this story relate? in your perspective, to the current political environment that you are seeing us in today? Oh, well, you know, I live in Marietta, a suburb of Atlanta, so I literally watched uh, the election with Stacey Abrams and uh, Kemp go down. (laughs) So, man, I don't even know where to start. Um, There was so much voter suppression you know, not just black people, you know, it's a little bit different now, but it's the same in a way, uh, was really uh, manipulated uh, in this election season. So I don't want to get too deep into politics, but um, the fact that there was voter suppression at all, you know, kind of attests to how, you know, at times we think we've made so much project progress but at the same time it's like okay if you forget that the voter suppression started back in Henry Brookhart's time you know you don't really see the connection and for me to be to have been studying this information during the election season and you know see what voter suppression is firsthand was very real to me um, yes because it, it really became like <laughs> okay, so what progress have we made, you know? Um, Yeah, Yeah, and, I mean, that is a question. What progress have we made when here you are uncovering documents (laughs) about your ancestor in 1876, 1878, and beyond? I mean, it is something to make you stop and say, wait a minute, have we really made progress? Yeah. What's going on here? Now, there's a statement, Karen Berry also has an ancestor that was lynched in neighboring Wilkerson County in 1879, and he lived Charles in East Louisiana. Yes, Charles Brown, that's right. <laughs> you knew exactly okay. who it was, right, right. Yeah, he's so, um, mentioned, I believe, in this testimony, if I'm not mistaken. Mhm, mhm. And then um, you know, I've seen some of the testimonies. I remember reading about. Yes, yes, I've seen some of the testimonies out of Livingston Parish. So it mm-hmm. is really a truly a resource that people need to take advantage of because it is amazing what you will uncover just as you uncover the interview with Henry Brookhart. So are there other resources that you would recommend that individuals uh, look at to find some similar information that you did? I use a variety of different uh, resources. I mean, resources you wouldn't even think about. Like I use this site called uh, Historic Aerial uh, to find cemeteries. It's kind of really weird and cool at the same time. Uh, because when you're looking at death certificates, a lot of times, like, there may be cemeteries that uh, nobody knows about now, but we're, like, the main cemetery back then. So uh, on historic aerials, you can kind of put in an address, and then it'll give you a satellite image of that area 
for the year allotted for. So they give you a timeline of satellite images for that location, and you can kind of click back and see, you know, if it's visible from satellite. So that's kind of really cool uh, how I do that. Um, also, Genealogy Bank is always a good resource for uh, Times Picayune and The Advocate in Louisiana and a whole bunch of different uh, rural kind of uh, newspapers. So that's a good resource to uh, for obituaries. And uh, Family Search, you know, uh, the LDS Church. And Ancestry is kind of, I like to look at Ancestry like an archive because when I first started, I was 12. I didn't have any money. I was like, I'm just going to, you know, put this in a database and, you know, just keep it here for safekeeping. I wasn't using Ancestry. I wasn't paying for it, but I was using it just for uh, pedigree purposes, just to build a tree. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and then I was using Family Search to kind of, you know, uh, go along with my oral history. Okay, and so with all of and and you also use Google, Google to pull up the right, Google Books, which I didn't even value yes. until now. <laughs> right, so Google Books. So you have a lot of there's a lot of different resources for people to to look at, and you know I've even found uh, individuals have done dissertations. And the LSU site has dissertations that you can pull up and see those individuals that were really trying to find out what happened with uh, black suppression back in uh, the 1876 election. So you can find just a whole lot of different resources. Well, is there any other information that you feel would be helpful for people to know uh, what you have encountered in your research before we close out the show tonight? Yes. Hold on one second. Okay, so... To really conclude this, I found a statement um, that came out in January of 1879, a few months after he was lynched. And this kind of gave me insight into really the effect of the removal of Union troops in the South. Um, and I just like to read like a small portion of it um, to kind of give you, you know, the, the headspace of Henry Brookhart. Uh, before he was lynched, and what was really going on in that community, uh, and what that fear and intimidation really looked like. Um, okay, so it says, I find that the men who have been corresponding with you in regard to these cases dare not do anything that will implicate themselves in any prosecution. Not one of them dare go into a court and testify. They say it will endanger their lives. And when it comes to getting the Negroes to testify, that is entirely out of the question. The Negroes who have been whipped know every man but are afraid to say so. Uh, and now I'm quoting. Uh, the whipping of Brookhart and Coates was done to make them drop politics. In the case of Brookhart, a short time before being hung and whipped, he was stopped on the road by T. Ogden and H. Stockett and told that if he did not stop his electioneering, he would be attended to and was advised to announce in the paper that he would not have anything more to do with politics. After he was hung and whipped, he was told to go home and have nothing more to do with politics. And that's kind of where it cuts off and goes to a, a different approach to uh, the public. 
But that kind of like really shook me a little bit because they were, they were really trying to attack this guy, you know, verbally. And then they do it literally a few days later, you know, um, and really try and put the nail in the coffin. But the fact that this guy survives is a testament to his strength. You know, I've never heard of, you know, anybody surviving a lynching, you know. Um, so that just blew my mind when I saw him on the 1880 census. I said, this guy's still alive, <laughs> you know. Um, it just kind of, you know, makes me walk around with a little bit more integrity, like, okay, I can, I can survive this, you know, what we're going through now, so. Right, right. We have a a statement from Family Tree Girl just saying this is an evil strategy. Uh, I mean, the whole goal was to intimidate and to arouse so much fear that the individuals would not vote, would not exercise their rights. And so this is what you're you're reading. And, you know, like you said, he did survive because you found him in 1880 census. Did you find any other information about him in the newspaper to say that he continued uh, his political activism in the community? I could only assume that he did through his uh, ministry. Um, he was a minister of the gospel, so I can only assume that he continued to, uh, you know, tell people to be resilient in their political efforts in his church. Um, now, as far as being in the newspaper, after 1879, he kind of drops out of the scene because mm-hmm. at this point he is over 80 years old, you know, and mm-hmm. he's, he's mm-hmm. getting up there in age. So I can only imagine he he's he probably retires, you know. Right. And, Christopher, I want to go back to the very beginning when we started talking, and you said that you had oral history. Is this the story that survived to be told by your family members? Absolutely not. <laughs> it, Absolutely the oral history, not. <laughs> the oral history was like, yeah, you know, uh, uh you know, uh, Papa Papa Henry or, you know, uh, Henry Brookhart, you know, it, it was not, it was not anything close to this. <laughs> uh, it was just, you know, he was a great man and, you know, he was very, uh, you know, known in the family, but it wasn't, yeah, you know, lynched and survived. The story of the, the case of the century, you know, it was none of that. Uh, so I think maybe part of that was because, you know, they were, I'm not going to say afraid, but it kind of hurt, you know, to see the the patriarch of their family, you know, his life be threatened, you know, uh, an assassination attempt. And uh, for them to talk about that kind of, you know, reopens wounds, as we know, you know, that's why most of the oral history is lost and, you know, brought to the grave because they were not comfortable you know, talking mm-hmm. openly about what really hurt and affected them directly. Mhm, mhm. And well, yes, and it's it's a shame because you have a man. You said he was articulate. He he could tell you what it was like to live in that parish. Yet that information did not trickle down to the family members so that they could then be proud of him right. 
and the influence that he had in the community based on fear. Exactly. Exactly. And they continued to live in West Luciana Parish until like the 19, 1920s, 30s. So I imagine, you know, when they were coming up, it was like kind of this hush-hush environment. So. Mhm, mhm. So but what do you plan on doing? Because you just to... shared. I'm sorry, but what were you saying? I was saying it's kind of hard to not be proud of this guy when you're looking at this because there's so much to be proud of. You know, like well, how would you? Why would you not want to tell your kids? You know, your ancestor was this amazing guy who stood for his people and fought for the rights of black people. You know who you know, were uh, (laughs) indoctrinated and in a mindset for so long, you know, they didn't know what it was like to be free. You know, some of them did not, you know, contemplate or understand the concept of freedom. So for him to Mm -hmm. be challenging that idea so early in the game is something to really be proud of. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So now that, I mean, now that you know the story, now that you have found the, the primary sources, you've actually read his testimony, and you've shared it with us tonight, how do you plan on getting others in your family and in your community to know about these records and to really expand on their understanding of genealogy and uh, family history? Well, in the future, okay, well, <laughs> as soon as this becomes a podcast, I'm going to post this to my site, so hopefully that will draw more people to, um, you know, learn about what we talked about during this interview. And in the future, I do want to start a blog and a uh, more extensive social media so I can start to educate the, the golden nuggets I find in my research and uh, I think a lot of people can really take advantage of because, uh, you know, their ancestors are somebody, and they do have a legacy. You know, sometimes it's forgotten, but it is out there. It is available, uh, and I think that's kind of what you know discourages people because once you get to that, you know, uh, pre-14th Amendment mark, you know, you hit that brick wall. It discourages a lot of people, uh, but hopefully, I can you know be that that voice <laughs> to say that it is possible and that you can get through this, and you will get past it. So. And you will get past it, absolutely. And, of course, Karen Galloway uh, is stating that she's found in the Freeman Bureau complaint records on voter suppression for her yes. ancestors in nearby Port Hudson and East Baton Rouge. And so, yes. I mean, th- th- they're – the documents are out there, you know, to tell you what's going on. It's just that people need to talk more. She said she's blogged about this, just as you've said you're going to blog, and Alvin Blake's uh, is also talking about the uh, testimony of one of his ancestors, uh, Kenner James, who also testified mm-hmm. before Congress about the massacre in Woodville, Mississippi, in 1876. 
So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad to, about the to know others are, you know, talking about what they have found. I think we need to keep this going. We need to hear more from those of you who have done this research to tell the story. Because just if you, as you said, your story did not carry on. You've, you mm-hmm. found it in the documentation, but it was not a part of your oral history. Correct. And so we want to hear those stories uh, shared as as much as possible. Well, do you have mm-hmm. any closing remarks before we close out tonight? Um, I just kind of want to reiterate that, you know, when you're the minority doing research for your ancestors, uh, you know, to find that revelation is really rewarding and it's worth the time. And (laughs) it's a joy and it's priceless. You know, you can't really put a price tag on something this intimate and this, you know, detailed. Uh, It is like the Holy Grail, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. of, of all treasures. So I'm just really glad I was able to come on the show and, you know, kind of voice that and kind of illuminate people who aren't really talked about that much in history so well thank you very much christopher for coming on tonight and uh we i look forward to seeing you at maggie in july and uh, you know what let's just keep talking okay uh let's let's <laughs> talk uh, talk a little bit more let's talk about those homestead records that we've been talking about because there's this information out there, folks, and I think that that's what we're here for, just to, to talk about it. I mean, Angela mentioned that this is unaddressed trauma. Uh, you know, these events of terror are often not passed down. People don't want to talk yeah. about this. They want to bury this. This is this is just not part of where people want to go when they're talking right. about their family history. And yeah. so, it's, it's you know, it's so necessary to talk about. Yes. But if we don't create the forum or even have the opportunity to share, and that's what we need to do. We need to have that take this opportunity to share the research that we're uncovering. Because you're finding, hey, here's my ancestor. He may not be in the census. There may not be a secession record. But look, there's testimony. Look, he's in the newspaper. And look at what he's saying. And so we need to just tap into those resources more. Absolutely. So I mean, that unaddressed trauma thing. is really PTSD, you know, what they call it today. Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 it is, it is. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming on tonight and to share just just sharing your story and your research. And everyone else, please remember, your ancestors left footprints. And, of course, we just found out about Henry Brookhart's footprints. So you should just follow the clues. Follow them. Follow the clues that are presented to you, starting with your oral history family records, newspapers, and research at the National Archives and beyond. So you can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and the AfriGenius Facebook pages 
And also remember to listen to the African Roots Podcast with Angela Walton Raji. And also watch for the new Black Progen Live in 2019 with host Nika Sul Smith. Thank you so much for joining research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. And I look forward to all of you joining me next week. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, everyone. Good night, Christopher. Good night.